0: Good evening, church. I'm Emma. I will be bringing us our first Bible reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord.
1: Good evening, my name's AJ, um, if you flick back a few pages to 1 Corinthians, um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon, another, and the stars, another, and stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and is the heavenly, and as is the heavenly man so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, Thanks be to God. Thank you guys for reading so brilliantly.
2: My name is Nick. I'm your pastor here at 6 PM. If we haven't met, it is an honor to be here with you and honor to open up the word. C.S. Lewis wrote, If we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire is not too strong, but too weak. it's a perspective that fixates so much so on this world and our short time within it that drowns out the reality of God and all that he promises us. And I think whether you have been following Jesus for a short time or a long time, in this little corner of the world that we find ourselves, it is so easy to be fixated on the now, to enjoy the luxury that this part of the world offers, And we're slowly deluded into having a significant set of beliefs that perhaps don't translate into our hope. It's like being in this majestic church right now. Look around you and glimpse how beautiful it is and all the bricks that form its its structure. And our approach is like taking one brick and it's a brick that's got a nice crack through the middle and saying, this is the brick. This is a nice brick. It is my brick. When God is saying, just open your eyes and look around at what I offer you. You're focusing on this tiny, small, broken, little part of your existence when eternity stretches before you. I don't think we like to think about death. I think we like to pretend that it's not going to come, and sometimes it surprises us, and suddenly we have to do business with God. But if we don't find ourselves in that position, we can put off death as far away as we can, and we kind of put our blinders on, we delude ourselves, we focus on this world, we focus on Jesus, sure, at times, but... We don't have an eternal hope. But death is inevitable. This is a really uplifting talk so far, right? Death is inevitable. It's not like the bug on your phone that just needs a software update while you're sleeping and charging it, something like, oh, it fixed that issue that I was having. Death isn't a bug that has a fix. It's, it's a moment where the whole phone gets shattered and broken. Has anyone else dropped their phone in a toilet? Moment of honesty? I've done it three times, so you feel blessed right now. <laughs> this, this is not something that can be fixed with a button and the flick of a switch. The whole thing needs to be reoriented. We people who know the Lord Jesus, we cannot be satisfied by this world alone. C.S. Lewis again, this is going to be a C.S. Lewis sermon, guys. There are far, far better things ahead than what we leave behind, and it's true. It's true. We're looking at eschatology this series, the last things, the end times. Today we've come to a positive one, I promise, despite my introduction. We're looking at resurrection. Next week we're looking at heaven. And in the middle of both of these is a single idea, and that is hope. If you know the Lord Jesus, you have hope for eternity, and it eclipses everything that this world could ever offer you. So we're going to look at resurrection. love you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to start in that first reading that Emma read beautifully for us, 2 Corinthians 5. We'll walk through our passages. We'll come across some big questions along the way. And hopefully, hopefully, the Lord willing, we end up somewhere useful. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. We come to this picture of our earthly existence, our earthly bodies being depicted as a tent. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Does anyone here like camping? Hands up. Hey, a few of you. I asked this this morning at um, a morning service and literally no one put their hands up. So I felt free to just trash camping. But, you know, I'll be be respectful. Um, Camping has some nice things to offer. It's nice to you know, escape the big smoke and the loud noises and all of that sort of stuff. It's great to quiet your world down. It's enjoyable to get out into nature and to view all that God's given you. Lovely things, right? Camping can be fun. Camping can be good. Some of you sitting here being like, I would never camp. I don't care what you... I'll glamp, but I won't camp. Yeah, anyways, camping can be good. Camping is only good for a bound short period of time. And if you want to live your entire life like you're camping, that's just crazy, right? That's, that's going to Tasmania and living off the grid and not seeing another human soul and growing a beard that goes past your feet, right? Like that's, that's not how we were meant to live, right? You know camping doesn't really work for you as a way of life when suddenly you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just completely disoriented because you're soaking wet and you're not sure if there's a leak in the tent or you've wet yourself or something's gone wrong, but all you know is it's uncomfortable, Or, as happened to me on a Bucks party, one of those big Goanna guys comes and just pokes his head into your tent at night looking for something to eat. And you go, I want to be back home where I can lock my door, right? Camping is not what we were made for. And this is exactly what Paul puts before us. Our earthly existence, it's like living in a tent. The floor is hard. It's a difficult necessity that we must use right now. But it's not what we were meant for. And it's not what we should settle for. And so to be a people who are like, oh man, look at how nice my tent is. I just, I've got the greatest tent. You guys should come check out my tent. And you talk to someone who lives in a house of stone with air conditioning and a beautiful fireplace. There's a big difference, right? Has anyone seen the movie Frozen? Yeah, I'm getting some nods. I don't know why, but I keep coming to this illustration when I was just thinking about this. You know when like I think it's Anna is out there in, like, the frozen, like the cold snow, and she comes to that, like, convenience store in the middle of nowhere, and there's that weird German guy. I don't know what his name is, but he's like, oh, yoo big summer blowout, right? It's that moment where she comes in, and she's literally frozen, and she, that's the name of the movie. She's literally frozen. She's just, like, completely uncomfortable, and she walks in, and this guy's got a sauna, and his family's happy and everything's good. We are out in this storm, living in tents, and God is saying, this is not what you were meant for. There is more to be had. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Verse 4, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Here's the thing, not many of us are groaning and burdened because we're comfortable Why long for heaven when what you've got right now is pretty good? But that's because we've been deluded to think that what we have will last. That what we have was what we were made for. And that God doesn't have something better for us. Lift your eyes. See the risen Lord Jesus who is calling you home to be with him forever. That is where we were meant to be. Verse Six, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. When push comes to shove, you can have the most comfortable North Shore life that you could ever dream of. I mean, you could have a wharf on your own private property. Incredible, right? But at the end of the day, if you know Jesus, when you're in this body, you're away from your Lord. And that's what you're made for. You're made to be with your God. That is the end point of every longing in your soul. We were made for God. And so we need to lift our eyes. We need to be a people who don't settle for this world but long for more. Because, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We, to keep banging on about this silly camping analogy, we might be really enjoying ourselves in our tents, but that excludes the reality of verse 10 that there is a day coming when the risen Lord Jesus will return, the dead will be raised, the living will be lifted up into the skies before him, and all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And every single person We'll have to give an account for every single thing that they have done, the good, the bad, and in between, the things that everyone saw and the things that no one did and you thought were secret, but God did see. Everything will be laid bare before Jesus, the judge of the world. And if you're resting upon your own goodness, that should be a scary thought. We can be so deluded with our comfort that we forget the reality of God the reality of judgment. And so if you're sitting here and you don't yet know Jesus, I want this to be the moment for you where you realize, if God is real, I need to do business with God. Everything will be laid bare before this judge because this is just the waiting room. Your 80 to 90 years on this earth are nothing compared to eternity stretching before you. Do business with God now before you leave the waiting room. But if you are a believer, if you do know Jesus, you will rightly tell me, that you are saved, rescued, forgiven, redeemed, adopted by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Right? That doesn't mean that this judgment doesn't matter. Right? Sometimes I think we can whitewash judgment with the gospel as if, well, all my sins are paid for by Jesus, so therefore I just hold up my gospel ticket and I just walk on into heaven and forget everything else. But did you notice, this is a letter written to a Christian church. And what does he say? We must all Christian and non-Christian alike appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Yes, you, Christian, will give an account to God for the life that you live. Have you thought about that? That even post your conversion, the way that you live your life matters and that God cares. Now, let me be clear. Your sin is completely covered by Christ. You are forgiven and redeemed. And so there's not a fear in this judgment of punishment... But there's this sense of longing, of wanting to make your life count because you love Jesus and you know that he's going to see everything that you've done. And just like a child wants to please their father, we want to please our God. He's done so much for us. How can we give him our lives? Once we lift our eyes off this earthly tent, recognize the heavenly building that we're going to and our father who's waiting there with open arms to receive us, we say, God, have my whole life, right? We want to give it all to him. This raises the question, though, I think, of the way that God judges us differently. Um, Specifically, I want to just deal with a question. Some of you may have thought about it for many years, and it troubles you in your nights. You know, it's three in the morning, and you can't get to sleep because of this question. Some of you are like, I've never thought of this, and I never would have thought of this. But have you considered that perhaps there are differing rewards for Christians in heaven? Wow. I remember being um, at a KIC conference, even before I became a Christian, and the speaker got up, and he was like, uh, there's a contentious thought out there that some people might get more rewards in heaven than others. And I was like, what is heaven? I've got no clue what's going on. Completely over my head. So if it's over your head, please forgive me. But if you're wrestling with the idea of what it means to serve God in this world, it's, it's a pertinent question. Um, the reason some people might say that God rewards us differently is because you get these passages like the parable of the talents, where the master leaves his servants with one, five, and ten different talents and says, take them, take care of them, use them and I will return at some point in the future. Each one does that of those 3 and oh sorry the first two do, the 10 and the 5. The master comes back and they've taken what got, what that master had given them, used it diligently, and the master says, you've done well with 10, here's 10 more. You've done well with 5, here's 5 more. And The expectation from that reading is, well, perhaps God's, well, clearly God's given each of us different callings and different obligations in life, and what we do with them to be faithful will be rewarded accordingly. You might have been given 10 talents, while over here you've been given five. Both are loved and saved and cherished by the blood of Jesus, but in your faithfulness to those callings, God might reward us differently. Some have posited that when Paul later in his letters talks about, you know, it's always a throwaway comment that you want to know more about. But he says, when we will judge angels and rule cities in the kingdom, perhaps that's what's on offer here. That perhaps as we faithfully discharge our service to Jesus, one day he might give us responsibility in the new kingdom to come. I don't know. It's, it's plausible, it's certainly um, not evidence to say it's not true in the scriptures. But I think a rule of thumb that's really helpful for us whenever we're wrestling with Scripture is we should emphasize things as much as Scripture emphasizes them, right? There are no clear calls to pursue a life of faithfulness because you will have a city to rule in heaven or a host of angels that will be under your control. That's not what the language of Scripture does. Um, Scripture leaves open the opportunity or the possibility, and that's cool, that's fine. You can think about it and wrestle with it till your heart's content. But what does Scripture do? It calls us to the hope that comes through our resurrection. That is 1 John 3 verse 2. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Revelation 22 verse 4. We we know that our greatest hope for eternity to come is that we're going to be face to face with the living God. It's not like the, the marshmallow, you know, mountains and the milkshake fountains in heaven that should be appealing to you. It's the God that made you, drawing you in with his loving embrace and seeing you. You can just imagine the look in his eyes as you you walk over towards him, and you can just see that he's seen everything that you've been through. He says, Nick, I love you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I long for. That is the hope of eternity. And it's one that all are offered as they come to follow Jesus and enter into eternity. In Matthew 25, it talks about entering the joy of our Master. And like I mentioned, those words that I think we should all crave because God tells us, Jesus tells us, to enter the kingdom is to become like a little child. And what does a little child crave more than to hear their Father tell them that they are good and faithful, loved and cherished and drawn in close? A hope of eternity is certain and greater than anything we could ever imagine. Sure, there might be some theological questions to wrestle with, and that's why I'm talking about it. It's an eschatology series. We're doing doctrine. I'm supposed to raise these things, but let's not lose the forest from the trees. God is beckoning you forward into glory, and it's brilliant. But what will it be like? That's the question I get most often, right, as a youth pastor particularly. It's like, will I be doing X, Y, Z in heaven? Can you do? Can you still lie to people in heaven? Can you know? Can a, will I be able to do a backflip in heaven? Because I sure can't do one now. Like, what will I be like? Better than everyone else at basketball? And, you know, it's those really specific. And it's a good questions, right? Because right now is concrete, but heaven feels vague. What will it be like? Well, that's our first, our second reading. One Corinthians fifteen. Flip over there if you have got your Bible still open. There'll be overlap, I'm sure, with next week as we think about heaven. But let's think about the resurrection specifically. What will our resurrection be like? What will our resurrected bodies be like? Well, verse 35 to 37 talk about our bodies right now being like a seed that is sown into the ground in its death and yet blossoms into a beautiful plant, in new life, that maybe barely resembles the original seed that was sown, and yet there is a beautiful continuity that as God takes this earthly existence of yours and lays hold of you, that he's, he's curating and, and developing like a master craftsman, a work of art that you can barely imagine. Your resurrected body will be like a seed moving towards a fullness of beauty in, in the world around us, right? Right? It's this picture of of continuity. Every single person in the world is an eternal being. Again, C.S. Lewis, um, as you walk down the street, you run into all sorts of strangers, and every single one of them is on a journey, a journey to become more and more like a creature of greater beauty than you could ever imagine, or a creature moving further and further away from God into judgment in a direction that you could not imagine. There is no neutral ground. Everybody is an eternal creature. You are on that journey right now. and This is your picture if you know Jesus. That this body you have, this 80, 90 years, if if you're lucky, is simply the seed that will launch you into a fruitful life of eternity. And then you come to verse 41 and you see that there's splendor. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. I did medical science for a little while, and there is great beauty in the intricacy of the human body. The the minute detail that goes into our bodies to make sure that we are alive and kicking and continuing, it's incredible. But I think what's being suggested here is the splendor that we see in the heavens around us, our taste of the splendor to be seen in our resurrected bodies. We will be like ourselves Um, Jesus, when he appeared after his resurrection, they recognized him. He, He was the risen Lord Jesus. And yet there is something incredible about his resurrection. There is a splendor and a glory. Verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I don't know if you have thought this through, but your broken body won't be like this forever. Those of you who are wrestling with chronic illness and the weight of unseen difficulties that no one understands, but you wrestle with day in and day out, there is a moment where God says, I will heal you, I will restore you. I'm 28, and I'm already getting some arthritis in my fingers. My mum likes to remind me it's because I crack them, but I think she's wrong. But I feel the creakiness at this point in my life. And as we age, our bodies degrade, and they, they stop working as they once did. And you can get disappointed with that like the rest of our world and pursue youth and beauty through whatever, whatever means you can find, or you could sit humbly and, and, and wait on the Lord, knowing that one day you will never experience those aches and pains again your mental health that you're struggling with, and the, the darkness that just sits in the background of your day-to-day life. One day you won't wrestle or struggle anymore because God is taking our bodies, body, mind, and soul, and is bringing us into eternity as he resurrects us. Isn't it incredible to just think that our hardest struggles are so temporary compared to the beauty that he is offering us? In 2 Corinthians, just a bit before what we read, it's one of my life verses that I think you should go and check out. 2 Corinthians 4.17. Paul writes, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Every pain, every moment of hardship is seen by God and is at work by God to bring you to this glory. So take hope, Christian. This is not as good as it gets. This is as low as it gets. God has so much more for you than you could ever imagine. Now, there are some practical questions that come up at this point, point. one being, um, what about disability? Um, for some of us, this isn't an academic question. My sister's got significant disabilities. Um, and it, the question is, well, what does that mean for um, our people who we love deeply, who their disability has made them so much of who they are? My sister's got a significant physical and mental disability. She is completely deaf um, and can communicate in one-word sign language, but that's about the extent of it. And she is beautiful to me in her her childlike approach to life and the joy that she gets there, right? And so to think, like, is that just going to be taken away in the resurrection? I have a youth kid who asked me a couple weeks ago, my dad's paralyzed and in a wheelchair. Will he be healed in heaven? Um, And I think behind that question partly was like, but all I know is my dad in a wheelchair, it'll be different, right? These are these are important questions to wrestle with. Um, the clearest answer I can find that's not hard and fast as we look at every individual case, but is helpful as we think of the whole, is that Jesus' earthly ministry is where we need to look, because in Jesus, that's where heaven meets earth, like a sloppy wet kiss. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Terrible song, if you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, just please move on by. We look at Jesus in his ministry, and heaven meets earth in that he turns up speaking and preaching repentance, forgiveness of sins, and calling people back to God. But as he goes about doing that, what does he do? He, he heals the lame, and they walk again. He, he, he takes the blind and restores their sight. He, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years with an unseen chronic illness is healed and, and is restored. I think this is the picture of what heaven will be in our resurrected bodies, that our bodies and our our lives will be restored and recreated in the way that they were intended to be. That's not to take away from the journey that we have been on and the person that we are or have become through those wrestles, because those things are the fuel for our worship. When you look at Jesus, uh, he comes and arrives before his disciples, and he's speaking with Thomas. And to prove to Thomas that he is truly the Jesus that he once knew. He says, put your hand in my side. Look at the nails that that put holes in my hands. His scars were still present. Because it's by looking at those scars that we will rejoice, not just in eternity that we have right now, but in the journey that God took us on to get us there. There's a reason, I think, that God didn't just start with a bunch of robots in the garden who couldn't disobey. He wanted to take us on a journey of this murkiness of this world to come through the other side and and taste and see that He is good, because we've seen what not good is. And so I look at my sister, and I think, my beautiful sister Katie, I cannot wait to see how God recreates you and restores you into the woman that He had in mind when He forged you, that you will still be the sister that I know and love and we'll cherish all those memories and we'll see the journey that God took you on. But to, to be able to speak with you and to get to know you in a way that I never was able to, I can't, that's one of my most exciting thoughts about Eternity to Come is to, to walk alongside her. And I think that's true for each one of us. We've all got scars. We've all got wounds and difficulties, seen and unseen. And each one of those will not be forgotten or marginalized. They will simply be put into perspective by the glory that God offers. And we will rejoice on the journey that God took us on. And we'll worship Him again and again and again as we look to the wounds of Jesus and we see our own wounds and see how He bore them on His shoulders and carried us forward into eternity. It's amazing. Let's leave it there. What do we do with this? Um, both these passages have an exhortation to them, like an encouragement to move forward with all of this truth and glory that we've been talking about. 1 Corinthians 15, right at the end, verse 58. Therefore, everything I've just taught you, therefore, stand firm. Stand firm. How does the resurrection change your life? Well, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is sowing something that will bear fruit for eternity. Stop hanging out in those mud pies. There's a holiday by the sea right at your fingertips. And in fact, your labors have meaning. Your work, your love, it it bears fruit into eternity. Our 2 Corinthians passage, chapter 5, verse 9. So, given all this stuff about how bad camping it is, how good heaven is, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. When we see the, the future that awaits us from God, when we know and, and appreciate that this is not all that there is, we don't bother with all the other stuff. We don't care about money. We don't care about possessions, property, future success. Those things are a part of life, but our goal is to please God. Our goal is to honor him and to delight in him because those are the things that will remain into eternity. So let me finish where we started. I think we, I think me, we're, too, we're far too easily pleased. So let's slow down this week and just rejoice and reflect on all that God has promised us. The beauty of all this is you don't have to do anything for it. It's, it's yours. But let's, let's enjoy it. Uh, a couple of recommendations. One... Um, a book that changed my life when I read about um, this topic was The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. Oh, C.S. Lewis, who would have thought you'd mention that, Nick? Incredible. It's online, it's a, a pretty easy read, and it's it's really brilliant. So please read that. Um, there's a book that a few people have talked about called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Um, he has spent 20-ish years studying, um, thinking through the theology behind um, the end times and the future, and he he really starts to put like practical, concrete um, imagery, and and helps you to really feel the reality of heaven to come, which gets you excited. It's not a vague thing in the future, it's real. I'd love to encourage you, spend some time in the Word, 2 Corinthians 3 to chapter 5. Read it slowly, pray it in deeply, and have your heart stirred that this is only a short moment in the scheme of eternity. There is so much more we could talk about, but instead I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that we would be a people captivated by eternity. Let's pray. Father Almighty, you stand outside of time. You were there at the beginning. and You spoke all things into being. And you'll be there at the end of this this world, at least, awaiting us to take us and make us new and lead us into the new heavens and earth that you have before us. And in the middle, we sit here with our limited vision and our Focus on the now and our focus on ourselves. And we just ask you, God, please, would you, would you expand our vision of what is to come? Would you do the hard work in our souls of uprooting sin and taking away our longing for comfort now? Would you fill us with your spirit to give us courage and boldness to live for you now, to give ourselves to the work that you have for us that we might live for eternity? God, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you will one day make us new, that you will wipe every tear from our eye on our resurrected bodies as we rejoice in life to come as we walk with you face to face. Amen.